Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Early in the morning of December 20th, 1964, flames blazed against the darkened sky, erupting from a fire in a home in Palmyra, New York. The house burned so intensely that the city's fire chief told a contemporary newspaper, when we got there, the flames were shooting into the middle of the street. It took 75 firefighters from four towns over three hours to quell the blaze. When the smoke cleared, they recovered the bodies of 26-year-old Ruth Anna Breeden and her six children, Marion Eddie Edward, age eight, Dennis Wayne, age six, Susan Pauline, age 5, Mitchell Eugene, age 4, Sharon Faith, age 3, and Samuel David, age 2. Eddie and Samuel's bodies were found under a mattress, their bodies so dehydrated from the intense flames that rescuers reportedly mistook the corpses for dolls. Ruth Anna and her other four children had died together, the woman having attempted to shield the children from the flames. The fire had so completely destroyed the building that the family was all found in the basement, the floor having collapsed in on itself. While the charred remains of the house were torn down, the basement and foundation remained intact. Today, the site of what has been described as the worst fire tragedy in Wayne County's history is the site of the Palmyra Historical Museum. Once a tavern and inn, the museum was moved to the foundation of the Breeden House, as part of a historic district called the Historic Palmyra Museums District. And as you might guess from its tragic past, the location is haunted, with so much activity, including doors slamming, mysterious footsteps, and disembodied voices, that the museum's director describes it as the most haunted place in the Finger Lakes. I'm Amy Bruni, and welcome to Haunted Road. A colonial town in upstate New York of about 8,000 people, Palmyra was named for the ancient Syrian city of the same name in 1797. Its location on the Erie Canal, which was completed in 1825, created a prosperous environment for locals. Palmyra was sometimes called the queen of the canal towns, but its biggest claim to fame is very different than waterway-based commerce. The town is the birthplace of Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, 
who was born on a farm that straddled Palmyra and the adjoining town of Manchester. It's where Smith claimed to have received the Golden Tablets that became the Book of Mormon from an angel, and it's where the first Book of Mormon was printed in 1829 and 1830. Beginning in 1937, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints hosted the Hill Cumora pageant in Palmyra each July. This play, which depicted events from the Book of Mormon and the Church's history, took place near the location where Joseph Smith was said to have been visited by the angel. The pageant's final year was in 2019, after the church announced an end to most of their long-running shows. One last pageant was planned for 2020, but was postponed due to COVID and eventually canceled altogether. Today, the town's biggest tourist draw is the historic Palmyra District, a group of five museums on a preserved city block of Market Street, comprised of the Palmyra Historical Museum, Erie Canal Depot, Phelps General Store, a print shop, and Alling Coverlet Museum, which has America's largest collection of hand-woven coverlets. The Palmyra Historical Museum and Phelps General Store are said to be haunted, although some claim that unexplained footsteps and voices can be heard in the Erie Canal Depot and the print shop as well. The Palmyra Historical Museum is housed in a building that was formerly an inn and tavern that dates back as early as 1826. In the late 1800s, owners added the front section of the building, which became the restaurant's bar. During the years that it operated as the St. James Hotel and Reifenberg Saloon, it's said that at least one murder by stabbing took place in the bar. In 1976, the building was moved from its original location a block away on William Street to the foundation that previously held up the Breeden House. The move saved the historic building, which was slated for demolition, but it inherited a dark history with that relocation. The tragedy that took the lives of seven Breedens was never fully solved. In 1964, local newspaper The Democrat and Chronicle reported that the fire was ruled an accidental fire of undetermined origin, but the circumstances of the fire were mysterious, to say the least. To start, the fire spread so quickly and burned so intensely that it is suspected an accelerant was used. Neighbors said that they attempted to get into the house and help the family, only to be faced with a wall of flames when they opened the door. The fire also destroyed the two adjacent houses, leaving 11 people homeless, though no one in those homes was harmed. And then there was Paul Breeden, Ruth Anna's husband and the father of their six children. He was conveniently absent from the house at the time, having returned home just an hour after the fire started from a business trip in Chicago. As Patty Unverich wrote in Ghosts and Hauntings of the Finger Lakes, there are people who say that he set the fire to free himself of the burden of a large family. Others say that he was so distraught over the news of his family member's death that he had to be sedated. Or could it have been the overwhelming guilt over what he had done? I personally read a letter Paul wrote regarding the events of that night, and it is a bit suspicious. Anna and her children were buried in a single casket in a cemetery in Tennessee where the Breedens were originally from. When the new building was moved to that foundation, there was still debris and ash from the fire in the basement, which is still there to this day. Bonnie Hayes, the Palmyra Museum's executive director, believes that at one point she found a small bone in the rubble. Today, museum staff still hang stockings for the children at Christmas, and visitors sometimes bring toys to fill them. 
The Palmyra Historical Museum, a grand white building with a red door, has 23 rooms, each with a different theme and each full to bursting with historic artifacts. The military room contains uniforms and memorabilia from American wars. The doctor's office features medical devices, including an electroshock machine. The morning room includes a mannequin dressed in Civil War-era morning dress who's referred to by staff as Gloria. The religion room includes information on Palmyra's famous four churches, all built on different corners of an intersection, as well as a mannequin of Joseph Smith dressed in a costume from the Hill Camorra pageant. Even the building's hallways have historical pictures lining the walls. Many believe that the hauntings in the building are tied to these objects. Musical instruments are said to play by themselves in the religious room. Security cameras in the merchant room once picked up a picture being carefully lifted off its hook and laid face up in the front of the door with no one nearby to explain the move. In the doctor's room, staff report encountering a spirit called the Dark Man, who is possibly attached to the electroshock machine, which sometimes turns on by itself. Some believe that in life, the Dark Man was teased for having physical deformities. One former employee, Kathy Woodlock, related an experience she believes was related to the Dark Man. As Tammy Whitaker reported in the Daily Messenger, Upstairs in the doctor's office, Woodlock recalled witnessing the possession of a psychic medium. She said the medium went limp and then her hands came up curled like claws. Then Woodlock said the female medium began speaking in a man's voice, sharing an eerie message. I'm going to get even with them. I'm going to fry their brains. One investigator believes that the spirit of a crooked doctor who performed unnecessary procedures is present in the room, who is also connected to the electroshock equipment, but it's not clear whether this is the same entity as the Dark Man. He's said to especially dislike women. According to Ghosts and Hauntings of the Finger Lakes, if a person stands in the center of the medical room with his hand stretched out, a tingling feeling will run through it. The children's room at the museum, which displays historical toys from different eras, is also said to be haunted. Specifically, it's believed to be haunted by the spirits of the six Breeden children. According to the Daily Messenger, a tape recorder placed in the empty room revealed 45 minutes of children at play, with the sounds of toys moving and metal roller skates clanging, but nothing in the room was out of place. It's said that the children will open the door of a cabinet where toys are kept, as well as moving around toys that are on display. The spirits of the Breeden children are said to grab the hands and touch the hair of visitors, and some say that they can sometimes smell phantom smoke in the museum, even though it was never touched by that fire. When staff open up the museum when it's been closed for the night or after a weekend, they often report items being disturbed when no one living was around to disturb them. As Bonnie Hayes, the Palmyra Museum's former executive director, told the Daily Messenger, a large framed picture of O.J. Garlock had come off the wall where it had been securely hanging for the past five years. The picture had dropped some five or more feet, landed face down on the floor, but the glass hadn't broken. The other museum in historic Palmyra that's believed to be haunted is the Phelps General Store. Originally constructed in 1826, the building served as a boarding house, tavern, bakery, and grocery store. In 1868, William Phelps purchased the building and remodeled it into a general store. He and his family, wife Catherine, son Julius, and daughter Mary Louise, lived upstairs from the business. 
William was prominent in the community, serving as village president in 1876, as well as stints as a police justice, justice of sessions, village treasurer, village trustee, and as a member of the school board. When he retired around 1895, his son Julius took over the business. Julius, his wife Mary Mamie Aldrich, and their daughter Sybil continued to live in the building. The once prosperous family lost its money during the Great Depression. The store operated until July 1940, when Julius closed it up one day and never opened it again. Some believe that Julius was frustrated by the number of customers who never paid their tabs, in addition to increasing taxes from the government. As Tracy Murphy wrote in the Finger Lakes Times, many have speculated he was tired of the storekeeper's life or nervous about the upcoming war. Whatever the reason, we know that the family did not enter the store after that day, but continued living upstairs. Because Julius locked the store one day and never opened it again, the space became a time capsule of life in 1940. The floor-to-ceiling shelves are still stocked with items left behind from the day the store closed. Pre-World War II versions of familiar brands like Tide, Velveeta, Arm & Hammer, Heinz Pickles, and Kellogg's Corn Flakes on the counter still. The museum's motto, fittingly, is where time stands still. On the counter remains a ledger with customers' names and amounts they owed. Though the family never re-entered the store, they lived out their remaining years in the two floors of living space above. Sybil Phelps, Julius and Mamie's only child, had hoped to make it as a musician or an actor, attending Rochester's Eastman School of Music, followed by drama school in New York City. In addition to singing, she played the organ, piano, and guitar. However, her drama school shut down due to the Great Depression, and her family's money had run out. Sybil unhappily returned home in 1926, taking up work as a tombstone distributor and earning money through piano lessons. Around the time of Sybil's return to Palmyra, she discovered spiritualism, which had started about 80 years prior in nearby Hydesville, New York. As she delved deeper into her interests in numerology and astrology, Sybil became known as a recluse in town. Although she had frequent correspondence with people who shared her interest, circus performers, musicians, and actors, including a years-long correspondence with Greta Garbo. Some locals thought she was more than just a recluse, interpreting her old-fashioned black dresses and wide-brimmed hats as witch's garb. Though she lived in her parents' large house, she lived without electricity or running water. The Victorian-style home ran on gas lamps installed by her grandfather, William, and used an outhouse behind the store. She also had as many as 15 cats at a time. The number of mirrors in the home, especially those facing each other, leads former museum director Bonnie Hayes to believe she practiced scrying with them. Some think Sybil also made use of a crystal ball. She lived in the house until her death in 1976, the year after historic Palmyra bought the building and turned it into a museum. The first floor grocery store museum is a tribute to how people shopped nearly a century ago. The upper two stories are a tribute to how they lived. The Phelps' original furniture, including their piano, is still present in the family's eight rooms, which included a dining room with lace curtains and a table set for afternoon tea, a sitting room and a sick room, where Sybil's grandparents and parents are all believed to have spent their final days. Local spiritualists celebrate Sybil's birthday every year on October 10th, 
and it's said that she often makes appearances at these parties. But that's not the only day Sybil makes appearances in the home where she lived and died. One employee at the museum was vacuuming the third floor when he saw a full-body manifestation of Sybil Phelps, according to the Daily Messenger. According to this employee, Phelps told him not to touch her things. He's refused to enter the third floor again. Others have claimed to see Sybil walking through the kitchen or sitting at her piano on the second floor. According to Ghosts and Hauntings of the Finger Lakes, an impression of a figure has often been seen in the bed in her room in the southeast corner of the third floor. Visitors who sit at the dining room table on the second floor also report the sound of a spoon clinking against a teacup. People report hearing piano music on the upstairs floors, said to be Sybil playing the piano or sometimes her cats walking across the keys. The cats in particular pop up often. Visitors have reported hearing them meow, feeling them rub against their legs, and even seeing them walk through the place. On the first floor, people hear disembodied voices. They sense someone breathing in their ear and sometimes smell the scent of phantom cigars. The lamp in the store is said to swing gently even in the absence of a breeze. Investigators have recorded EVPs that sound like a voice listing prices, which they believe is a residual haunting when a ghost leaves a psychic imprint on the place. On the second floor, according to Ghosts and Hauntings of the Finger Lakes, the shadow of a small boy appears running through the kitchen before disappearing into the door, which rattles as it passes through it. The spirit of a child named Holly, said to be an eight-year-old girl who died in 1836, has been said to be present in the sitting room on the second floor. As the Daily Messenger reported, the child is best known for touching visitors' hands when they sit on a chair next to the table she is allegedly hiding under with several other spirit children. One visitor saw what she thought was a doll in the room, only to realize that there was no doll present. Holly's identity is unknown, but some think she was a resident of the boarding house from before the Phelps family moved in. Others believe she was the victim of a horse accident in front of the store. Even Julius himself is suspected of haunting the building. He's especially sensed in the sick room on the second floor. According to Ghosts and Hauntings of the Finger Lakes, he doesn't want anyone, especially women, in there. Julius doesn't really make his presence known, however, anyone can sense a heaviness in the air as he waits impatiently for them to move along. He still likes his privacy, just as he did when he was alive. Up next, we will be talking to the museum's director, Tracy Murphy. She is one of the most engaging people I've met on a case, and she's incredibly knowledgeable on not only the history of the museum, but its many haunts. So that is coming up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. 
So I am now joined by Tracy Murphy, who is the director of the Palmyra Museum uh, and someone that we worked with when we filmed uh, Kindred Spirits there. So it's great to hear your voice, Tracy. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. To this day, I would say that the museum is probably one of my favorite places I've ever investigated. It's just, to me, one of the most haunted places I've ever been. I love doing that. <laughs> You get to work there every day. Yes, I do. <laughs> and, you know, we were there for like four or five days and the activity was just incessant and we couldn't even show it all on the show. And so is it just like that all the time being there? I would say 90% of the time, all of the buildings have some activity going on um, any given day at any given time. So... I think that's really interesting because, well, the activity that we encountered was, well, at one point in the basement, we did have something slam on the door very loudly. And just it was very much like I couldn't tell if it was trying to get our attention or if it was trying to tell us to, like, get out of there. What is your impression of activity like that when it happens? Most of the time, if it has to do with the basement, I prefer not to be involved. The basement is just one of the creepiest places um, in the whole museum. And I know people will say, well, basements are kind of creepy, but ours just has a special vibe to it. And quite honestly, if we hear like it sounds like something has fallen down in the basement, we tend to ignore it until we have a volunteer come in and then I'll send them down to investigate <laughs> Do they know this or is this going to be news to them when they listen to the podcast? <laughs> this is probably going to be news to them. <laughs> I mean, never have well, another you know, volunteer. Everyone, <laughs> everyone has to, you know, do their part, yes. especially with their newbies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a test of strength. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think when we were down there, it almost seemed like there was someone hiding down there. Was the vibe, uh, was the vibe that we got. And like they, we were getting kind of too close for their comfort is what it seemed like. And I think Chip picked up on that as well. Mm -hmm. But then in the rest of the location, it just seems like a lot of different spirits. I think people probably focus on the fire a lot, but I think there's so much going on. Who do you think is like maybe your most prevalent spirits there? I would say generally the bartender is very present in the front of the building in the bar room itself but we also have been getting and i think we touched on this too that we've been getting some different visitors um, one of them was the little boy that his portrait is on the wall and he really didn't have anything to do with the museums but he comes in uh we do have some shadowy figure that's upstairs in the hallway at the end. We don't really know who he is, but he's up there quite a bit. Um, and I think that's one of the the more interesting things about our building, especially the, the historical museum, is because it was a hotel, we had so many visitors. And I think there is some bit of a residual effect that they have left. Now, what about the poker playing ghost? Is he still around? So Jack, yes, Jack is still around. Um, we're getting ready to collect his pot, uh, so to speak. 
Um, we've got quite a pile of money over there on the bed. Um, we have one more ghost hunt for the month and we're going to wait and see, you know, how, what his winnings are because he's really good at his game. Yeah. So this was something we couldn't show on the episode either, but we did play blackjack with him and I did win a few hands, I must say, but he was quite a character. And so I think the way we did this, I'm trying to remember, I think the way we did it was either with the K2 or the spirit box, but basically we kind of made a signal for like, you know, stay, hit. Yep. <laughs> yes. And, and it worked. I was like, I'm, I feel I'm literally playing blackjack with a ghost. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And, you know, it's so fascinating because I think that shows people how intelligent they are. Yeah. And it also shows, you know, the power of a gambling addiction. Sure. It follows you in the afterlife. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the other uh, spirit that we encountered that did not make the show, but still stands as one of the most wild experiences I've had. And I'm pretty sure we played you the audio from this, but so if people don't know, I'm sorry if you haven't, if the people haven't watched the episode of Kindred Spirits, I highly recommend you go check it out if you haven't. What people don't know is that we had to cut one of two things. It was either cut the whole Sybil seance session, which Sybil was a spiritualist who we believe haunts the building, mm -hmm. or cut the crazy experience that we had with the woman moaning walking down the stairs. Yeah. And so we had to cut the woman moaning, walking down the yeah. stairs, or the, the hallway, rather. And so that moment was, we were standing in the doctor's room, and there was this this doctor's bag that I'm sure you're, we remember that seemed to have some energy attached to it that was negative and did not like women for whatever reason. And so we moved that bag. Adam moved it. But he didn't tell me where he put it. And apparently he put it in some sort of women's history room. Yeah, in our morning room of all places. Oh, in the morning yes. room. And so next thing you know, <laughs> we hear this very typical, like this sounded like you would expect a ghost here. We hear coming down the hallway, footsteps, and this voice that is just like, ooh, like this wailing ghost and I looked at Adam and I was like what is that and our entire crew was just like bewildered we'd never heard anything like that and I'm like Adam where did you put the bag and he was like the morning room and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever I couldn't remember exactly what room it was but I just remembered it being like the wrong place to yes. put the bag <laughs> um and so I might be able to dig that audio up and play it on the podcast because it was so awesome. What? That's the hallway. Is that? Looks like something moving in the. Um, can, is there anyone shuffling their feet? No. Did you hear the howling that yeah, went with that? Yeah. You heard that, right? Like a woman moaning? Uh, like yeah. Literally, ghost. A ghost. And a creak. It was a creak and a. But it was coming from the hallway, not in here. It was not in here. What is going on here? 
Okay, I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're liking what they're hearing. Maybe they're pissed you put that bag out there. <gasps> you pissed those that bag is out there and that goes. You don't even know bag. where it is though. <gasps> you put it in the doll room. No. No. Where'd you put it? In the morning room. No, yeah. I put it we should put it somewhere you don't know. I put it in the morning room, so maybe somebody's like, no, get it We'll bring it back in here in a second. Hold on. There could be somebody from that morning, because that's for the sound of morning. You guys. Isn't that the sound of morning? The, oh. I, I want to cry right now. I'm just like, yes. I can't believe this is happening. But yeah, so that was a wild moment. Have you heard that since, or had you heard that before? We, we've heard crying, but not to that extent. You know, usually we hear a little like weeping or, um, you know, just a little uh, and sniffles, but not to that extent. That was definitely that was pretty amazing. So everyone wants to know, what did you do with the haunted doctor bag? Well, we tell people when they ask that they have to come and find out for themselves. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that's yes. fair. We still I have do it. always encourage people to visit. Yep. We still have it. <laughs> oh, okay. And the doctor's okay. room, I have to say, has changed a little bit. It's not as heavy as it was before. However, people, and mostly women, still go in and say, Ugh, it doesn't feel good in here. Yeah, yeah, but not to the extent, I don't believe, no. which is good to know. Yes. Okay, so do you think that those children haunt the building from the fire? I don't I don't think they're they're haunting us. I, they're here. Um, we do experience, you know, we see them every once in a while. Um, it's actually kind of interesting that they've been spotted at the Phelps in the in the upstairs. So they're actually now we we've had uh, mediums and sensitives that have been experiencing three of the children and not the two that we typically interact with over here. Um, these are the two sisters and one of the brothers. And it's very strange because this particular group, they didn't really know anything about the family. They didn't really want to know a lot of things. And so when they were over there, this person saw three children very clearly, asked them, what are your names, came back over here for, you know, validation. And I said, oh, I can tell you, you know, we, we have children over here. I can draw some names. And it was three of their names. That's interesting. And so now remind me, the Phelps building is which building? Is where Sybil lived. Oh, okay. So that's upstairs in that yep. beautiful kind of Victorian. Yes. And it was on the second floor. Yes. Which is very strange to me because normally, you know, we have a couple children over there that we're familiar with, but it's never been the children from here at the at the historical. What do you think is drawing them over there? I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's like a sense of comfort that maybe Sybil presents to them. You know, we've often wondered because Sybil was here in 1964 when the fire took place. Did she see them, you know, after, before, during? It's a lot. There's a lot of questions, you know, with that. Right. I actually I remember pondering that as well, because she definitely would have been alive 
and living in that building yes. at the time, probably fearful for her own house at the time, too. Well, and I'm, I'm sure they evacuated her because, you know, being so close, she was only a building away. So, you know, it, it would seem to me that it would make sense that you're going to evacuate the buildings around the big fire. And so she would have been outside you know, right. I mean, she may have even come to think she may have even known those children in life. Right. That's what I was thinking, too, because we do know that the older boy, Eddie, he was nine and he did remember, you know, he used to say Mr. Phelps is mean, her father. So it makes you wonder what kind of interaction she had with them. You know, she was kind of a keep to herself kind of gal. But, uh, you know, who knows? I just, it's so, it's just so interesting to me. Well, it's a very complicated haunt because it has so many different players. Like there's so many different intelligent type spirits there. And if you really think about it with Sybil, like her, her belief in life was that, you know, we survived in the afterlife somehow. She was a spiritualist, a very active spiritualist. She worked very hard to commemorate the Fox sisters memorial, you know, and so it would make sense that she would be very intrigued with what you're doing there and with the you know existence of spirits in the space. And so maybe now with so much back and forth and people investigating it, I mean, who knows, maybe that kind of brought them together in some way. You know, and I, everybody is always curious, you know, like, oh, have your investigations ramped up after kindred spirits were, were here? And, and I always say, yes, they most certainly did. Um, we find that Sybil enjoyed her 15 minutes of fame and she wants more. <laughs> she definitely... So are you saying she's a little more active than she was before? Yes, definitely. And it's not in a very... She's not subtle about it. Like she's very good now about presenting herself in a very large, loud way. There's no stopping her now. What does she do? We've been getting um, a lot of very loud bangs over there now. Um, she will come to the spirit box and will talk to our mm. visitors. Um, just very interesting things. Um, funny story, we just, we had our exterminator here. They come twice a year for us to spray on the outsides of the building and inside if we need them. And he came right to the building and he said, listen, I was here last year. I wasn't even going to tell my boss that I wasn't, that I wasn't going to go in. I was just going to park my car out front to show I was here because last year he said, I didn't even touch any of the stairs coming off the third floor. I'm not going in there. And I just looked at him and I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I was on the third floor and I heard a woman's voice say, don't touch my dress. And I just, I said, why don't you tell us these things? And he's like, I'm not going in there alone. You have to be with me. You oh know, my and goodness. Was there a dress up there? There is a dress in the other room that belonged to her. And, you know, maybe he was getting too close to it and she didn't like it. But it, he's not the first person to report to us that she was very verbal about leave my stuff alone. Wow, go Sybil. I do know when we were doing the seance with um, our psychic Heather, who is amazing, there were these moments where 
we were just all hearing footsteps walk across the floor to us so loud. And then it was almost like someone was standing there kind of thinking about entering the circle. Like we saved the space for Sybil and you could hear like kind of a rocking and like someone just standing there. And again, this, this was probably the one case where like our entire crew was just like, what is going on here? (laughs) Usually they're just, I mean, they have experiences, but many times our camera crew, they're all business. You saw them. They're very hardworking. They're, you know, they, but they are like nonstop. They don't really have time to have experiences sometimes. But this was the one place where like, you know, at at night we'll all go back to the hotel and chit chat for a little while after we're done filming. And this was the one place where they were like, they didn't like having to go up to that third floor by themselves. (laughs) They didn't like having to go into the basement alone. Like, yeah. And a lot of these are pretty tough guys. Exactly. (laughs) So, but they admitted it like that, that, that place felt different. And it really does. Everywhere you go through the building feel, you feel something and each area feels differently. Like sometimes you feel very happy and safe. Sometimes you feel like, Hmm, somebody's watching me. So now have you had any recent uh, people come in who just had had enough and had to leave and didn't want to come back? <laughs> um, other than our bug guy? No. <laughs> um, other than the bug guy. His, his poor face. And, you know, we knew he was genuine because he really was like, I wasn't even going to come in. Like, we've lost people because of your buildings. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Let us know. We'll go in prior and say, hey, guys, you know. We got the bug people coming today. Be nice. Um, <laughs> but no, I, you know, I think the really neat thing about our buildings, when, when we have investigators come in, there's always something that leaves them wanting just a little bit more, which is great because, you know, sometimes you go to a location, maybe you get a little bit, maybe you don't get anything. And, and not to say that, you know, everybody who comes here gets something because sometimes you don't. But we find like we get a lot of people who want to come back because there was so much and they want to investigate just a little bit more or go in a different direction, which is really cool to me. And I love seeing the old school stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the camp that I'm in. Like that was one of those places that just got me really excited about the paranormal, you know, and and I think I could see how that, you know, I want to tell people that if you go to this to Palmyra and you investigate here, uh, just know that not every haunt is like that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. It's not usually that easy. And I'm sure there's times people come in and it's quiet, of course. But like for us, that was never a factor. Like it was just nonstop. Now, when they do kind of go quiet, do you ever think there's a reason? You know, I think that it's like, it's kind of like us on the other side that, you know, maybe they're just tired. Um, you know, maybe they're taking a break because, you know, you can't be on all the time. And, you know, sometimes I think if if we were booked, you know, every single weekend of the month, something's got to give, you know, I mean, I personally, when I come back in my next life, I don't want to keep answering questions like, are you there? Yes, I'm here. (laughs) Um, You know, so I think they just kind of go, they just take the day off. And I don't blame them. I would too. Um, And and that's what we tell people. You know, we we cannot guarantee 
that you're going to get something every time you come because obviously they have minds of their own and they're going to do what they're going to do. So it, it can be difficult. Yeah, that actually brings up a good point. We do frequently tell people to kind of think outside the box when you're approaching these spirits, just because in places that are investigated, they do get a lot of the same question over and over again. And they get asked to do the same thing over and over again. And then they kind of become like, like they're performing for you at that point. I think they're desensitized. <laughs> yes. So you have to kind of think, what can I give them? And like, what can I, how can I make this a rewarding experience for them? Like, what can I do here that will have them want to interact, not just because I'm asking them to, but because I'm offering right. them something? Yes. You know, may that be information, may that be assistance in some way. And so, especially when you're dealing with a location filled with intelligent haunts like yours, you really do have to bring your A game. Yes, you do. You do. And I think they recognize that too. Which, you know, oh, definitely. It, you never disappoint. That's being here. You know, I'm here Tuesday through Saturday. So, you know, when I'm here during the day, it's it's the museums. It's our job. We do tours. Um, some people will come for a tour and they'll ask questions. And then, you know, we're like, oh, okay, you want to know about this part of our business. But, you know, I'm always asking, you know, when I go into the building, um, good morning, Sybil. How are you? You know, we're going to be doing this today. We're going to do this today. And at the end of the day, I'm always like, good afternoon. You know, have a great day. We'll see you in the morning. Like, we're leaving for the day. So we're very respectful in Sybil's home because it's her home. Right. And you're so you're keeping her kind of, you know, abreast of what's going on, sure. which I think is important, too. It's kind of like when you go... Like not, not like it's going to the door, but like going to the doctor's office sure. when they're explaining to you every single thing they're doing to make you feel more comfortable. You know, obviously it's not to that extent, but it is this kind of like, you know, recognizing that you're in someone's space and kind of giving them a step by step of like what your plans are. Plus, I feel like Sybil probably really likes you at this point. She seems to. So she probably wants to know what's going on in your life. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and there's there's times, you know, when we send the girls down to to clean the store. And I'm always like, you know, when you go behind the counter, when you're by the safe, just let William know we're just cleaning because we don't want him to be upset. And we know he does get upset when we go back there. So, you know, it's just kind of being respectful. And some people kind of give us the side eye, like, what are you doing? But it's just part of what we do. So do you think so you think he gets upset if, of people who are not employees or behind the counter? Absolutely. Yeah. And so what happens? Is there activity that goes along with that? Um, usually he like we had an incident where he was not happy with someone being back there and the glass that covers some of the, the counter um, got broken. And it was because we had people back there. Um, but. When I've gone back there before, I've had my hair pulled. I've had like a little nudge to kind of get out of that area. Um, so, you know, we always let them know, hey, this is where I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm not anywhere near the safe. You know, we're, we're just here to clean. And it seems to well, work out. Well, that has to be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be a challenge too, because, 
you know, you have people who want interaction so badly, they might be tempted to go back there and agitate him. Mm, You know, there are people that, you know, that's one of the things we always say, please, you know, don't do that. Yes. (laughs) So yes, you don't want you don't want activity due to agitation, just, you know, for the well being of the location and you who have to be there all the time. And as in, you know, with respect to the spirit as well. So I'm sure that's happened in the past. Though. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's difficult because, you know, sometimes people watch certain shows and, you know, and there's a little bit of, you know, confrontation or, you know, oh, you know, please, you, you better make a noise or we're going to do this. And we always try to make sure, you know, that we're like, listen, we don't do that here. Um, if you get something, that's great. And if you don't, that's okay too. Um, but we certainly don't sit here and try to bring them out with, you know, meanness. We don't we try not to be mean. But I and I think with the Phelps, the store, definitely with the upstairs residents, you see people change a little bit because they realize it is somebody's home. Someone lived there from 1868 until 1976. So I think that kind of changes the vibe when they come in there. Because at first, you know, everybody's jaw drops like, wow, this place is incredible. Uh, You know, and then they hear the history and it's like, whoa, this is even more incredible than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is truly a very special place. And I I cannot wait to get back there and visit. Um, and so now if people want to come visit or if they want to support the museum in any way, what do you recommend? Uh, I would recommend that they go to our website, um, which is www.historicpalmyranny.com. We have all the information on there about our museums, our hours, Um, We have our investigations on there, you know, what to expect, things like that. We also have a Facebook page, Historic Palmyra, Palmyra, New York. So those are a couple avenues. They can always call me. They can, you know, email us. (laughs) We're open for anything. Yes. Tracy's always there. She never leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If I'm not here, I'm at the Fox property. So it's, you know, that I know a whole other ball yes, game. Absolutely. So for people that don't know, Tracy's also the caretaker for the original Fox sisters cabin, like the foundation of it. And so if you are not familiar with the Fox sisters, go look that up right now. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that is probably one of the most, if not the most important piece of spiritualist history in America. And Tracy looks after it, which I love. We actually filmed there briefly, but again, just too many hauntings know, at the right. Palmyra Museum. We didn't have time to show it. It's too many ghosts. Yeah. So. Uh, you have to come back for a whole week. <laughs> I uh, Seriously, yep. I could. So, yeah, I know. Anytime. But anyways, I want to thank you so much for fitting me into your schedule. Oh, I know you're, you're so busy welcome. and it's lovely to hear your voice. You and I really do hope to get back there very soon. Anytime. So thank you, Tracy. Anytime, Amy. To this day, the Palmyra Museum stands as one of the top most haunted places I've ever experienced. From the second I set inside to the second I departed, the activity and feeling of otherworldly presences was constant. I don't necessarily think it's the breed in children or not entirely them. 
There is something about that place, the items inside, the history of each space, that has bred the perfect haunt. Not scary, not desperate, but very, very active. I highly recommend you make the trip. And if you do, tell Tracy and the staff I said hi, and also let them know it will not be long before I am back. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Taylor Hagedorn and Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.